Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. If you've been watching my social media, you know that Dr. Joanne Lyon is with us today. Many of you know that she is my mentor. She's been doing that for quite some time. But I want to set it up that we bring guests in because we believe that there's a message that they're going to bring. She will do that. But she's not here simply to deliver a message. I want you to hear this in my heart because I believe we're in a moment of time. I'm greatly concerned for the church in our country, not only as a pastor, but as a fellow believer, because I think we're at a critical crossroad and the church seems to be silent. It seems that there appears to be a people that, yep, I'm saved. You can't judge me. And then they're watching. They're sort of seeing if this is where I want to attach myself to. If this is a place that at the crossroads, we'll kind of see where it turns and then I'll make a decision. And I'm just here to share with you, if that was to happen, you're going to be left behind because that's not a biblical posture for those who call themselves believers. We're at a moment of time. If we really understand Christ, we don't sit waiting. We already made a choice. And what our world does is needs to see that choice. Sort of something as we are worshiping, I don't know if it was from God or not, but I started thinking about the church and we come to the summer months and people seem to drift. And, and I try to look at the years that I've been a pastor and it seems to me that people come to church looking for an experience rather than meeting the experiencing and then becoming the church. Dr. Joanne, for us pastors, is not just a fellow, one who's called. She was a little girl when God did something very profound in her and put a dream in her. And what God's done with her is truly an act of God. She led our denomination for eight years. Still to this day, when she walks out on a stage, we're in a room full of pastors, We just feel more confident. She's a sage to us. She's been in 88 different countries. She's been in the Oval Office multiple times under three different presidents. She's been on the floor of Senate committees, House committees. She has sat in offices of presidents of countries around the world. Only God could do what God has allowed her to do. And my life will never fathom it. But to set at her feet, as so many of us pastors do because of who she is, she inspires us with hope, with confidence and belief in my life. She continues to encourage me, you stay the course. God has this. She just over and over, time and time again, 
She has been beat up, beat down in so many ways, and yet she just keeps rising up because she knows that I serve the victorious God. I, I want you to hear this. I want you to welcome her, but I want you to hear this. God has a message for us that we need to hear. But she's on the stage because every time she walks out, I hope that she does to you what she does to me and so many other pastors who are called. We just went through a general conference and her being on the stage, we just find ourselves sitting up a little bit taller. We have a little more resolve in our, in our confidence and belief of what God has called us to do. There's just something about her. And I hope, church, that today you will look at someone like Joanne, who she is, how humbled she is, the places she's been, but she's here today, not again just to give us a message, but there's something about her that says, church, this is our moment in time. We don't just sit back. It's time for us to be in, and it's not a game to be in the war. And believing that God has something unbelievable special. She's dear to my heart. And so many people like me, she's very dear to their heart. And I trust the same for you as well. So I'm going to ask, would you welcome Dr. Joanne Lamb? Oh my goodness. Stay up here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oops. So great to be with you all today and celebrate, wow, you're deep in my heart and all that God has done and continues to do through you. He's not done, my friends. He's really only just begun. And I want to say this morning on many things, but I want to thank you for the way in which you have partnered with, the, with World Hope and the country of Liberia. You see, God has called us to his kingdom, which is around the world. We belong to the kingdom of God around the world. We're not just Americans. The kingdom of God is above every other nation in the world. It's all of us connected because God is our father. It's his kingdom on earth. And so you've chosen to partner with the country of Liberia that went through a horrible war. <coughs> Excuse me. And... Uh, uh, and, and has come back and is being rebuilt, and you are bringing peace and joy and hope. As I say this today, uh, uh, Celebrate Church, you have 150,000 to 200,000 people have water today that they never had before, and I want to tell you that's pro-life. You've got, because before our wells went in, 30% of the children under five died every year because of dirty water. After the wells were in, after one year, only 1% of the children under five died. That's huge. Not only do they have the physical water, but they've got the living water of Jesus that's happening in their hearts. And now that means they have health. And now that means they, have, they can water their gardens and they have vegetables and they can have a good healthy diet. And the story goes on. 
And now we have many of those children in schools. You've sponsored children for the schools that they're in, as well as you've helped to put electricity in these schools. You've helped to have computers in these schools so that education rises. Our children in the schools where you are, we, that we have working with, with uh, World Hope and with Celebrate right now, the tests, the children in those schools are 40% higher than those in the government schools. That means you're, they're giving a higher education, which means there are many more doors that are open. So I just want to thank you. And right now, as I speak, the water that's going into this whole area is a hospital, a school of 900 children right now. They're finishing it up. School of 900 children and people that live on this area. This is 6,000 people a month that will now have water that they've not had before. So this, so God is doing an amazing things and he wants to do more. So today, Keith, that's why I wanted you to stay up here. I have a gift to you from the people of Liberia. This is hand in hand, people in Liberia, all because of Jesus. This brought us together, Keith. So this is for you and for the Celebrate Church. They said, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Just a little interesting thing about Liberia is that Liberia was caught in a civil war for many, many years. In fact, horrible. Uh, and child soldiers, if you read anything about child soldiers in Africa, uh, child soldiers were brought in. So this means that children, if you had a little boy that was five or six years old, he could be snapped from your family, taken in by the rebel soldiers and would be given an AK-47 immediately and would be taught how to shoot it. And in many places, they said, we, you will show your strength by if you will kill a member of your family, then we know you belong to us. It's exactly what happened. They gave these kids uh, cocaine to make them high and do things that would, they would normally, their conscience would not allow them to do. And then they gave them alcohol at night to sleep. You can imagine now the years of healing, but these children are being healed these days now from this that took place. But there was this interesting woman, probably the war had been off and on. It went off and on for about a decade. She was in a Sunday school class one morning in Monrovia, Liberia, the capital city. And she said, we are tired. We are tired of our girls being taken as sex slaves. We are tired of our boys being taken as child soldiers. We are tired of our husbands being mutilated. We're going to do something to stop this. Now, this is just a woman and six other women, seven women in a Sunday school class on a Sunday morning in a simple little church in Monrovia, Liberia. Now, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But you know what? It's always interesting to me how God uses the David with a slingshot. <laughs> How God uses the most unlikely people. And they started praying. First of all, they just started praying. And God said to them, why don't you gather all the women? Gather all the women that you can. Even go to the internally displaced camps because the war had so created people that they were in internally displaced camps. Get all those women. Have them dress in white 
and go to the fish market that was the center of town, go to the fish market every day and for hours sing and pray. Now you can imagine all the people going to the fish market. Here are these women singing and praying, singing and praying, singing. They did it for months. They did it for months, months, months. Finally, they heard that there were peace talks for Liberia that the UN had called together happening in Ghana, which is the next country over. You should go to the peace talks. Well, immediately, the officials and the big power people said, You're, you, and you women are not coming over to the peace talks. Many of you are illiterate. You don't even know the big time stuff that we're talking about. How does God use people? Finally, they decided we're going anyway. We don't care what the big shots say. And the warlords, these were the guys keeping the, 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 the uh, uh, war going because they were making money on all of this. And they were making money out of diamonds and they were, they were all making all this money. And they said, you're not coming over here. They were not afraid of those people. You see, when you really follow God, he gives you courage to move in the, in the most des desperate places because you know God, what we just sang, God's going to open that door. And so that's what they did. They went over anyway. Well, the warlords didn't like it. And they said, and we're going into that room where the UN people and the people from around the world are meeting. We're going in that room. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. So I had to laugh because they're cultural things. And they knew their culture. And so they threatened and they said, if you don't let us in, we will disrobe. They used that word. <laughs> now, in Liberia, in that part of Africa, for a woman to disrobe and take off all her clothes is a great shame to the men. Even it scared the warlords. They tell us that they were, started jumping out of the windows, that they, weren't, weren't, they didn't want to see this. And the women made it in to those peace talks. And I want you to know that what they did brought peace to the country. The war stopped. And in 2011, Lee Mae Bowie, who was the person who led that, that simple woman in that Sunday school class that day, received the Nobel Peace Prize. The whole world realized what had happened. So I want to say today, God may be calling you to do something that seems totally ridiculous because you may not have the right education, you may not have, quote unquote, you may not have the right connections, you may not have, but God has called every one of us to bring about his peace and reconciliation. Blessed are the peacemakers. And it's the only, only um, beatitude that says you will be called a child of God. That's how much God loves this. Whether it's in families, whether it's in places where you are, whatever, it's where God's called us. Well, today, I felt that God wanted me to preach on this topic today. Courage to encourage. Now, it's hard to encourage somebody because it's a lot easier to tear them up, right? Because when you criticize someone, you don't have to take any responsibility. You can just tear them up. That's the world in which we live today. And this last week and all the different decisions that have been made in the Supreme Court and the Congress and whatever, on your social media, I'm sure every one of you are seeing people just cut each other off, 
cut each other off. Talk, 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 talk. That's not what God has called us to do. And that's not what the scripture is. But it's a lot easier to tell somebody off. So I remember when I was a little girl, I was about five years old, and we lived in Enid, Oklahoma. And I had a little fight with my good friend, Donna Kay. And I came in the house, and I said to my mother, I just hate Donna Kay. I just hate Donna Kay. And you know what? The more I said I hate Donna Kay, the more powerful I felt. Do you realize this? When you criticize somebody and you hate, you feel power. When you affirm someone and encourage someone, you're giving away your power. That's why we don't like to do it, because we're giving away our power. So I remember my mother, who is this wonderful theologian, kind of a homespun theologian, and she was worried about how excited I was getting about how much I hated Donna Kay. And finally, she said, now, Joanne, you don't hate Donna Kay. You love her soul. I wasn't quite sure what all that meant. And so I said, well, I may love her soul, but I sure hate her old body. (laughs) And I think many times... That's where we are. And we don't realize what we're saying or doing to that person. So the book of Hebrews today has so much to say about this. And I want to tell you, it was interesting because I felt God wanted me to bring this message. I've never preached this sermon before. I felt God wanted me to bring this message. And I kept saying, oh, Lord, I don't want to. Let me do one that I know really well. Let it be easy. And even I got to tell you this morning, and Keith can verify this, I was, oh, I think I need to quit. I I, I can't do this anymore. You know what? Satan was fighting me clear to the end. And I want to tell you, I'm no different than anybody else when Satan fights. If you aren't careful, you listen. I did. I listened this morning. I was down in the dumps. I'm not going to do this anymore. I don't care how long you've lived, Satan is still after you. And so I'm here to tell you that God blessed and God has lifted me and I'm here to speak his word to you today, no matter what Satan says. So I want you to know that it's the word that God wants to you today. Our our sociologists tell us today in our country Actually, really, not just our country, but in the world. We're living, we are rootless, lonely, and restless. I think every one of us would agree that's where we are in our culture today. Rootless, lonely, and restless. In fact, in the UK, they now have a a minister, I'm talking about in the government, they have a whole division And a minister of loneliness runs the loneliness division. The government is trying to step in and handle loneliness. And we suffer from that, obviously, here. Loneliness. And yet, uh, as I look at what the body of Christ is to be, and we'll see this later in these scriptures, this is what the body of Christ is to handle loneliness because we're to be in community. This is who we are. We have to be together. It's community. So when you look at the book of Hebrews, I haven't read and preached from the book of Hebrews for a long time, and yet I do like the book of Hebrews. It is a great book. 
It has so many powerful things in it. There's been discussion, you know, the book of Hebrews, it says an unknown author because no one has really been to how to identify who wrote the book of Hebrews. Many scholars have felt that the book of Hebrews was written by Priscilla. You know, Priscilla and Aquila in the Bible, written by Priscilla. And their, their arguments are really quite strong that it no doubt was her, but she could not sign her name to it at that time because a woman didn't have that much authority. So when you look at it, you can almost see other things that she said that Paul talks about in other writings that Paul has done that you, you begin to feel her tone in it. Now, this book of Hebrews was written to second-generation Christians, not the first ones in Rome. This is the people in Rome still that came from Pentecost, and they came straight to Rome and started the Christian church, started people following Jesus. And Rome at that time uh, was probably one of the most difficult places to come in and start teaching the love of Jesus. The Roman philosophers taught at that time that if you showed any kind of mercy— you had a character flaw. Something was wrong with you. They threw away children that had any kind of disabilities, just threw them on the side of the road. I don't mean they, they took them someplace. They just, stop, get rid of them, got that disability out. And what happened? These brand new believers that had been filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost came to Rome and started doing exactly what Jesus had taught. And they had the Holy Spirit in them. They weren't social, just social workers. I praise God for social workers in this place. But they, it was about the power of God that was in them that was even greater that made that work. They started picking up those children off the side of the road, bringing them in, taking care of them. All kinds of things began to happen. Now, the church grew. But guess what? Nero became the emperor. Nobody knew who these Christians were. They didn't even pay any attention to who they were. They were just a small little group and nobody even cared. But Nero became the emperor. And he, didn't, he, was, he had a lot of people that didn't like him. And so he had an idea. If I can set Rome on fire, then maybe I can rebuild it and I will become popular. Doesn't that sound like politicians these days? And so that's what he did. And the great fire went through Rome. And there are writings that say that Nero stood in his tower and looked out and said, it is as beautiful as a flowerlet. But here's what happened. His plan didn't work because they turned against Nero. And so then he said, I've got to find someone else to blame this on. And someone came to him and said, you know, there's this little group, not, not many of them, but there's this little group called Christians. Why don't you blame it on them? That's exactly what he did. And that's what started the persecutions in Rome at that time under Nero. He was brutal. He would round up Christians, roll them in tar alive, set them on a stick, set them on fire as light for his garden parties. That was what he did. That was some of the persecution. It goes on and on. Both Paul and Peter were martyred under Nero's rule. Because Paul was a Roman citizen, he was allowed to be killed by the sword. Peter was not a Roman citizen. So they put him, crucified him on a cross just like they crucified Jesus. Except Peter said, I'm not worthy to be crucified as my Lord was crucified. 
turn me upside down. And so he was crucified on a cross upside down. Now, these Christians at this time that, that the book is, uh, the letter from the, for Hebrews is being written to them, they only heard about the persecution. They had never experienced it. They're second generation, you see. They'd never experienced it. And it's interesting, so then now the church is growing and they're doing good things and all this feels good. And yet I think when we begin to look at what the writer in Hebrews was talking about, it was prophetic. And so when we look at this verse, the very first verse, Hebrews 3.13, here is the writer saying, but encourage one another daily. As long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, they, don't, they, they didn't know what this meant, but, but they were gonna, if they weren't careful, if they didn't keep encouraging each other, if they didn't stay together, they were going to be destroyed by sin's deceitfulness. Well, how do you do that? How do you encourage one of the ways in which you do this, uh, encouragement is not about, oh, I like your shirt that says Harley Davidson. <laughs> that's, that's nice, but that's not encouragement. Encouragement is looking deep in a person and you don't have to know them very well, but you can just finally say, you know what I see in you, I see, I see the praise. I saw this up here. I saw the praise that you all were doing. That said to me, you love Jesus. You were abandon yourself to praise Jesus. That's what encouragement means. To inspire hope. To inspire confidence. We, we, in our day today, we are in trouble because we aren't, we're feeling less confident all the time. People are feeling less confident. As the body of believers, we need to inspire confidence in people. We need to strengthen each other. We don't know what's gonna happen. I'm not here saying, persecution is going to happen. I'm not saying that, but we don't know what's ahead. We need to be strong today. And I'm telling you, if every person in this room started inspiring people all over Sioux Falls with confidence, I can't imagine what God would do. It's beyond our imagination. I believe that's what, why God wanted me to bring this to you today. It is to give people hope and courage we need to give people hope and courage. We cannot tear each other apart. I've been torn apart. You've been torn apart. It takes a while to recover, doesn't it? I don't care what you've done or what, where you've been. We still need hope and courage to move forward. That's what encourage one another means. And then it means to make us strong, hearten, make us strong. That's what encouragement is. Well, you see, these people didn't know what was going to happen next. There was a 20-year period of rest between Nero and then the next emperor that came in, Domitian. 20 years rest. There was no persecution. But God was preparing them for this 20 years. And this is why he's even uh, writing these things, saying this is what you need to do. Encourage. I don't, I'm not here. I'm no prophet. So I'm not here saying 20 years, we're going to have a lot of persecution. I don't know. I don't even know. But I'm just saying today, God wants to make you strong and wants you to encourage each other. Stop tearing each other apart. 
Encourage each other. And I'm just telling you, in these last few days, I've looked at social media regarding the, the Supreme Court decision and regarding the, the uh, Congress decision. I can't believe what I'm seeing on social media. The way people are tearing each other up. This is not what God, and I feel like that's what God, why God wanted me to preach this sermon. And it was long before I knew what any of these things were going to happen. God is calling us, his people, to encourage each other and not to tear each other up. And I don't care if you think that other person is wrong. Let God tell them, not you. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of people jumping on pastors all the time. You didn't say this, and I didn't like this, so therefore I'm not going to be here anymore. You didn't say this, and I didn't like this, so I'm not going to be. You know, so when did you become the judge? Why don't you pray for the pastor instead of just tearing him up? You see, these are Satan's wiles today to discourage the shepherds of our church. And if we aren't careful, we're falling right into that. And we're floating around. In the meantime, those of us, people that are floating around are going to be lost themselves. And God is saying, I'm calling people to follow me today in these next years, and I don't know what it's going to be. Well, so these Hebrews, these people in the the people living in Rome, for the book of Hebrews, 20 years, they didn't know what was going to happen. Let me tell you what happened 20 years later. Domitian came in as the emperor. He was worse than Nero. He went searching. He went searching for the Christians. The first person that he had crucified was Simeon, who was the bishop of Jerusalem. I can't begin, if I'd take all day to begin to name you all the people, but just a few that you, whose names you would know. John, John who wrote John in the, in, the, in the Gospels, first, second, and third John, and the book of Revelation. He took John, boiled him in oil, and he didn't die. And then he set, sent him in, out in, uh, to the island of Patmos, which is off, out in the Mediterranean Sea, in exile. It's there that John wrote the book of Revelation. And you will find John talking about this very thing in Revelation 2. Timothy was beaten to death during this time. Titus was killed by lions in a coliseum in what is today, present-day Albania, the city of Duras. I've been there. I've seen the coliseum where, where, where Titus was, was killed. And the list goes on and on of familiar names that you know in the scriptures that were martyred during this time. Now, these people, just like we're sitting here, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. They didn't, but these are the words that God was saying to them. Let's look at this next one. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds you hear that? Did it not say, how can we tear each other up? He said, how can we spur each other on? How can we help each other? You see someone who's doing something good, and when I say good deeds, I'm not talking about, you know, helping a little old ladies like me across the street. You know, what, that used to be the old Boy Scout thing, you know, help that little lady across the street and you'll get a new badge. I, I have three sons who are in Boy Scouts, so I know. They, they were always figuring out how they can get a badge, and if they could just do something easy, not really good, but just help that little, help, mom can, you're not quite yet old, at that time, you're not quite yet old enough, but when you get older, we'll help you across the street, we'll get a badge, you know. That's not that. Good deeds are in depth. 
how are you really lifting people up? And then goes on to say, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You see, here's that loneliness part. When we don't meet together, we need to meet together. That's what gives us strength. I know some of you are in small groups and so forth. That gives you the strength. Meeting together. But let us encourage one another. Again, and all the more as you see the day approaching. These folks didn't know what the, what the writer was even talking about. What day? What day? I don't know. They didn't know. I don't know today. But I'm saying this is where God's calling us today. <laughs> In this year, 2,000 years later, this is where he's calling us. So what do we say? How may we spur one another on? That's about calling out the gifts. You see people. And you probably tell somebody, you know, I, I met him and, you know, he's, I, I think he has, I think he could really be a good teacher. But then we never tell that person that. Why don't you go to that person and say, I don't know, but I, I think you have the gift of teaching. I just feel that's happening. If we began to call out the gifts, there used to be a church in Washington, D.C., that that's what they did. It was amazing. They would take time every Sunday and they would be in small groups and they would say, I, I keep seeing this certain gift in you. I keep seeing, you know what? That small church in Washington, D.C. literally turned Washington, D.C. upside down. I could begin to give you all kinds of things that they did in that city and, in the, and with the power structures as well. Just called out the gifts calling out the gifts. I just want to say that if I hadn't had people in my life who said, Joanne, you know, I, I think, because I, I never saw it in me. Do you see your gifts very much? No, and if you think you have them, you're a little nervous about telling anybody because you don't want to go around and say, oh, I have the gift of preaching. I have the gift of, you don't want to do that. But when someone else begins to call it out from you, it gives you courage to act on those gifts. That's about the body of Christ working together. That's about meeting together. That's about being together. That's about assembling ourselves together. That's what this is. This is powerful, my friends. This is, we will overcome loneliness by that itself. We will overcome our restlessness because we'll begin to find our purpose in life. We'll begin to find where God has called us and what he wants to do through us. I used to work with college students and we did a lot of exercises. And one that we did that was really interesting was called strength bombardment. Maybe a group of eight together. And we would have one person sit in silence while seven people went around the group and said, named the strengths they saw in that person. Now, then the next person would sit in silence Everybody would go around. These are the strengths that I see in you. I mean, generally, it was weeping at the end because most of us can't even identify our own strengths. Or if we do, we're nervous. We don't want to run around and tell everybody because we aren't sure. This is the body of Christ working together. And I well remember one group, and there's a big-time football player in that group, and, you know, he was arrogant and all that stuff that goes with it. And at the end of the strength bombardment, he started crying. I've never experienced anything like this. He said, I've been trying to put on a show of who I think everybody wants me to be. 
but it's not me. And you have called out the deep strengths in me. And those are the ones I want to live in. This is what this is talking about, my friends. This is what God is saying in this, in this piece. It is, this is about no isolation. We've become isolationists. All of us isolated alone. This is no isolation. This is the body of Christ and the strength of the body of Christ. Then, look at this next one. Make every effort to live in peace with all people and to be holy. That means to live in peace with people you don't agree with. We're, 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 what, what's happening now these days? We've got little tribes. Here's a little tribe because you all agree with each other. Here's another little tribe and another little tribe. And you know what? We're not going to work together here because we're divided, 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 divided. Make every effort to live in peace with all people and to be holy. Oh, my goodness. Holy. That's really weird. How are we going to be a holy people? And it's nothing mysterious. A holy people are people and people that are following Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit and following Jesus, following every day where he's trying to teach us. That's being holy. That's not some saint up there that we knew a long time ago. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. How much grace are you going to give to people? How much grace are you going to give to other people? No, we generally want to grab them at that moment and, and tell them how terrible they are. Give people grace. We used to talk about a thing called garbage margin. In other words, somebody's done something we don't like, but, it's, but just give them the margin around. Don't jump on them immediately. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. This is also about forgiveness, living in love and forgiveness. Now, I want to say something here. Forgiveness, and I hope you keep this in your heart, forgiveness does not make the other person right. It makes you free. Forgiveness does not make the other person right. It makes you free. As long as you hold forgiveness in your heart, you are still allowing that person to control you. I don't care how terrible it has been. I'm sorry, much of it has been terrible. But finally, you have to let go and forgive, and then you go on and heal yourself. Otherwise, that person is continuing to control you. You don't want that terrible person that's hurt you to continue to have power over your life. And I know this, is, this, this hits it close on abuse and marriages and so forth and so on. I realize that and I'm not, I'm not diminishing that in any way, but you finally have to be free if you want to work on your forgiveness. Otherwise, you're still being bound by that person. For, Jesus also said to pray for your enemies. Now, that is the worst. Whew. I can remember a couple of things I will share. A hundred years ago, I used to teach school. And I had a principal I couldn't stand. It was equal. He didn't like me either. And every day, I found myself going home and thinking, he won this argument today, but tomorrow I'm going to win. 
And I would go back and forth, and we went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And one day the Lord spoke to me and said, you need to pray for Mr. blah, 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 because you're supposed to pray. He had now become my enemy. You know, we tend to think we don't really have enemies, but people that we don't like or we don't get along with, ultimately they're our enemies. Whew, so I thought, pray. Well, I'm going to start praying for his wife. <laughs> I started praying, Lord, help. Name, gave her a name. You know what a terrible man he must be to live with. Lord, I pray you'll just give her strength and grace to live with him. Oh, I did that for a, quite a while. But you know what? The more I prayed for her, the more God gave me insight to him. When you pray for your enemies, God starts giving you understanding of them. And you know what? It wasn't long until I could switch over and start praying for him. And I'll never forget the Sunday when he and his wife and three boys walked into our church where we were. All five of them sat on, this, on a seat like the second row. Now, I'd never invited them. You know, I didn't like him. I didn't want him to come to church. God has a huge sense of humor here. And I will never forget that second Sunday when all five of them came forward to give their life to Jesus. That's what it means to pray for your enemy. Try it. As we used to say when we were kids, I double dare you to try it. <laughs> See what God starts to do. I was in Pakistan a few years ago, um, up in the Northwest Frontier Province. It has a different name now, but that's where Bin Laden was. That's where they found him. And interestingly enough, there was a big earthquake up there. And the superintendent of police, Muslim, Pakistani government up there, knew Christians, our folks, our Wesleyan folks, down in Lahore, and called them and said, is there some way Christians could come up here and help us? Now, that is a radical Islamic part of Pakistan. And so they called me, and we were able to raise funds, and we went, they went up, and they, we started building schools that had been destroyed and everything else. And so they wanted me to come up and see it. So I went up. Now, I must confess that that's when bin Laden, they were trying to find him. And I'd heard that there was a $23 million reward if somebody found Bin Laden. And I just thought, maybe I could find him, you know? <laughs> World Hope could use that $23 million. I was looking around all these little crannies and stuff that maybe I'll just pop out. <laughs> Didn't find him, but went over to one of the places where we'd put in a school so children could go to school and, and have school during all this upheaval of the earthquake. It was, it was a, actually, it was a 9.2 earthquake that went for 90 seconds. You can imagine those Himalaya mountains. They told us those Himalaya mountains just, and there were aftershocks when I was there too. And um, so I went into this place. It was an Islamic school. The headmaster was there, looked at the school, and he said, um, thank you. I said, well, we're happy that we could do this. He said, I want you to know, we hate Christians I said, thank you. I didn't know what to say. <laughs> and then the second thing was, he said, and we hate Americans. And by this time, I'm looking for the exit out of there. 
And then he lifted up his head and he said to me, but we like you. You know what? He might have been trained to hate Americans. He might have been trained to hate Christians. But he didn't knew, couldn't handle it when one of those people that he had been trained to hate did a good deed for him. You see? This is what loving your enemies means. This is what praying for your enemies means. Early on, they said, lift up and do good deeds. It's that kind of thing. And then this last one, there's lots. I hope you go home and read the book of Hebrews today and think about it in in Priscilla's voice also. The last one says, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. This is entering into the suffering of others, my friends. This is being with the people that are suffering. Enter in. You don't have to have all the answers. Just be present. There's a whole power of presence. I'll never forget being in a refugee camp in Guinea where a quarter of a million Sierra Leoneans were there and I got into the refugee camp as a mess to try it again. I ended up in a dungeon the night before we got there and et cetera, with people with AK-47s. I know AK-47s, I don't know AR-17s or whatever those things are, but I do know AK-47s. I've been around to those a lot. And I remember that next day, God just brought us through all of that, I could, long story. But when I got into that refugee camp that day, the words, they wanted me to say something, I could barely say anything because they kept saying, Thank you for being here. We thought we had been forgotten. Many people feel they've been forgotten. In their suffering, in the prisons, in places, they feel as if they've been forgotten. You don't have to have big time words. Just be present with people in their suffering. He's calling us outside of ourselves here. This is what this word is, calling it outside. As they would say in, in, uh, in Rome, outside of the city gate, outside of yourself, outside of your comfort zone. You will grow outside of your comfort zone. If you stay in your comfort zone forever, you will shrivel. Move outside of your comfort zone. God's there with you. The first time I went into the country of India, about 25 years ago, one of our leaders there had said he wanted to start a school. And it's in the state of Gujarat, which is a state that has non-conversion laws and non-baptismal laws. Now, I keep saying to pastors, don't you want to go to Gujarat? Nobody wants to go (laughs) here in the States. But we have Indian pastors that stay right there and they are bringing people to Jesus. I asked him not long ago, how do you baptize? Oh, we just take them to the next state and we baptize them there. So they don't disobey the law on that. Persecution is happening even greater in this state right now. I, just, I was just with some folks two weeks ago. But my first time in there was this older pastor who's now with Jesus. He wanted to start a school. And so I had a millionaire friend that I said, why don't you go with me? You'd like to go see this? Sure, she said. Now, I hadn't realized that she only was familiar of sitting in the Ritz-Carlton. So when we got to Mumbai, I had made arrangements for us to stay at the, at the YMCA. 
I'll never forget when we walked in there, she said, wow, I've never stayed in any place like this. I thought it looked pretty good, frankly, but anyway, I had to get in another zone here. So then we got ready to go on the train because we needed to go two more hours on the train. And I hadn't made first class reservations on the train because I thought that might be too extravagant, so I did second class. I thought that was better than the third. Well, the second class on that train for two hours had no glass windows on the windows. It's just bars, so you didn't jump out. And all the soot came blowing in, blowing in, blowing in as we and all the people that lived on that side of that train track was beyond what you can imagine. Families living under just a little tarpaulin of some type. Also on that train ride, there was no seat. You sat on a bench. And the more people came in, the more you moved over, the more you moved over. And then there was a bench above us. So their legs were hanging down in front of us. <laughs> I'm telling you, my friend, like, Joanne, I've never done anything like this. I, I'm so sorry. I thought I've ruined any, any gift of money that I thought she might want to give us is gone now. <laughs> we finally got there. We went into the church, this wonderful pastor, so determined to start this school for children. And he was starting it in the school. There were about 35 children in that, in that church sitting on, on chairs, just in a row like that. And we got in and he said, oh, I'm so grateful that you're here. I'll never forget. They gave us a bottle of warm Pepsi. I don't know. Do you like warm Pepsi? After all that train ride, but drank that warm Pepsi because that was the gift they had for us. And he started telling us about the children. And then he said, see these seven children right here? They are all children of prostitutes. And it is the lowest of the lowest caste in India. As you know, India is on a caste system. The lowest of the lowest. And he said, in fact, these children were brought to us and they have no name. They're just prostitute children. No child name. And he said, so we've given them each a name. We've given them biblical names and we're teaching them who they are by the name they have. So here is Esther. Here is Mary. Here is Phoebe. Here is Moses. Here is David. He went on down the list. We're teaching them who they are by their name. And I want to tell you today, my friends, I've been, that this has been 20 some years ago. Those children now have grown up to live out their name by who they've been called. And I'm saying from this scripture this morning, when God calls us to encourage each other, we're going to start living into that encouragement. We're going to start living into those gifts. And we're going to see God do some things in you that you have never imagined. By the way, my wealthy friend paid for the whole school building to be built. <laughs> 
she said to me, it was so horrible, but she said, when I walked in and saw those children, and after Samuel Justin started telling us about the kids and the names they've given him, he said, I just cried and cried and cried. I said, Lord, here I am. Do something with me and my money. And today, that school is still going. 1,500 students in it and impacting children and, and high school students beyond compare. God wants to move through Celebrate. People, I'm not talking about an institution, I'm talking about you, the people of Celebrate. In ways you don't know today, that if you will follow this, you will find. I want to tell you the places God's taken me, I was never, I could have never imagined. Somebody said to me one day, what do you have on your bucket list? I said, I don't even have a bucket list. Because if I had a bucket list, I would be confined to that bucket list. And, I didn't, and it would be more than I would never go because I wouldn't even know God's got a bigger bucket list. God's got a bigger bucket list for you today, my friends, than what you have on your little bucket list. He's moving in this world today. In un, in un, I know we use the word unprecedented, so we're sorry, tired of it. But he's moving positively in unprecedented ways. I'll just share this. The first of May, I was invited to go to Saudi Arabia. Why was I going to Saudi Arabia? Nobody goes there on vacation. I was invited by the president of the World Muslim League to come to the first ever multi-faith conference in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, to talk about Jesus publicly. In times past, when you talked about Jesus in Saudi Arabia, your head got cut off. Not now. They're hungry and they want to know. I just want to say, God is moving. Move with God today and don't be fearful. Encourage one another. Have the courage. It's going to take courage to encourage people. Do it. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence in this place today. I pray you will move on every single person. In new ways, give us all courage, myself included, to keep encouraging and to know that you want to do more than we can imagine. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay standing, stay standing. If you're standing next to someone that you love, if you see someone alone, I'd love you to step out, but I want you to turn to them right now. Speak into their lives. Tell them a strength you see in them right now. Just turn to them. Tell them why you love them. I love you. Proud of you. I'm proud of you. Just listen to this very carefully. What could this church do? We, his people. The power of the tongue. Today, many of you are going to be in a restaurant. May I encourage you? Don't worry about the service. 
see the server. Some of you will be in a line today. Don't worry about the length of the line. Tell the person in the line, open your eyes and see them as God does. See, that's the power of the tongue. We all have a name, it wasn't by accident. My name in Aramaic means God's warrior. In Hebrew, it means surrounded by God. That means a lot to me. The power of the tongue, right? This week, I got a text said, I'm so proud of you. While it's likely true, I probably don't say it enough. I love you. That's from my wife, Kay. The power of words, of encouragement. That's why I call God's word his love letter. He wrote it to tell you how much he loves you. When you and I really receive it, now he says, I want you, the greatest commandment, love the Lord God, right? Now go love others the same. Power. What could this church do if that's how we lived every day and just lived it out in our world? Amen? Amen. God bless you. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.